My best friend is Sam, but we probably only see each other six or so times a year. In the summer, at least, we have a ritual. Once a month, we hook up in a batting cage to whack the hell out of some balls. But he's living in Jersey now. We alternate between cages in Teterboro, near the tower where he works, and the excellent cages in the five towns, at the ass end of JFK. We were both stationed in Dover, working midnights. His real name is Samir, and though he goes by Sam, it's ridiculous to assert a Muslim could fully assimilate into the United States Air Force before, during, and after 9-11. He's as secular as I am, but in modern America, you don't get to say, well, I'm not really Muslim. It's like saying in 1938 Germany, well, my parents were Jewish. That he's a third-generation American and his grandparents own a Lebanese restaurant outside Detroit is academic. Everyone knew the M-word was stamped onto his dog tags and he was excused from shifts at the end of Ramadan. Eventually, the same week they sent me to Iceland is when they shipped Sam's ass to Bagram. Down in Delaware, we started hanging out because we both came from New York. He grew up in Jamaica. Until then, I hadn't palled around with anyone from the city. In fact, the whole time I was in, I avoided being labeled a New Yorker. But looking back, I realized I befriended Sam because he was openly ostracized after September 2001. And I admit, I defend underdogs. And I love being contrarian. We were both together working those long, lonely shifts when the only air traffic was dead bodies returning from overseas in secret. And eventually, we started getting nostalgic for our childhoods back home. One night, we'd discuss Roland Roaster's sandwiches, and the next would be Dr. Frank Field's weather reports. The RR train, Ching Chow and the Daily News, the suicide of Donnie Manis, commercials for the Neville Resort. We both drove back home once a month, so we alternated cars and pooled gas money. Slowly, we discovered each had something beside airplanes. I told him about psychology, and he discussed performing comedy. He hasn't done it yet, but twice a year, I rate his material for him. Every stand-up needs a hook, and he's the Muslim air traffic controller. Can't miss. One night driving north in my Saturn, I told Sam if I ever got married, he'd be my best man. Several years later, he was. The irony of a Jewish bride, a Muslim best man, and a wasp justice wasn't lost on this former altar boy. Thankfully, the FDNY didn't honor us with a float in the Broad Channel Parade. As for Sam, he made the same offer in return but I haven't had to rent a tux yet. He's been engaged for four years now, and the date hasn't gotten any closer. I'm leaning on Lovey. Sam's about 15 minutes late, but that's no surprise. It's a five towns month, so he's suffering bridges and tunnels. I'll have to easy pass it next month. When his Buick pulls into the lot, I purchase the tokens. He buys when we're in Jersey. I pull my batting glove out of my right rear pocket and select a piece of aluminum. Sam walks up just as I settle on an unusually heavy stick. 
Trying to kill somebody, he asks. Just the ball. There are two things we understand yet never discuss. Neither wears batting helmets. And we hit first, talk later. I use up three tokens, he uses four, then I use two more. Finally, I step outside the cage. Sam smiles. Swinging too quick, over-anxious, like you want to murder the ball. I do want to murder the ball. Any particular face on that ball? He steps in, and I watch. He, on the other hand, swings late. But then, it's always easier to recognize other people's errors. A half hour later, we're overheated and done, and I feed coins into this George Lucas contraption using vacuum cleaner hoses to slide good humor bars down a chute. I'm chocolate eclair, and he's toasted almond. I sit on the bench with both legs spread wide, and he stands against a bat rack. How's the bit coming? The TSA? He nods. Almost there, working on a thing about liquids and gels. I shrug. You know, all the bits don't have to deal with airports. You can do other stuff. Growing up, the restaurant, that Ramadan bit. We pause. Finally, he broaches it. So you're in some wild shit, huh? Yep. But it's just one year, right? I mean, she won't stretch it uh, into more or whatever. I'll be back. Good question. She's saying one year. You know, I stop eating. Yeah. Sam stops too. You'll just keep talking about Ben, not losing him, which I get completely. But not for nothing. Marriage is over too. Haven't said much about that. Those little chocolate crumbs melt right onto my forearm. Not much to say. Sam sits down. But this is me. I mean, you loved her, right? For days, I've been tracking weather at work. A front has been sitting over the tri-state area, and the unstable atmosphere and humidity have made it unbearable. I suck on the empty stick. Look. I tell him. I'll lay it out, just for you. Three years ago, pregnant with Ben, so I took her out. What she wanted most of all, Westbury Music Fair. I pause. Air supply. I watch Sam. He stops mid-munch, his face recoiling. What the fuck? Over! It's worse. Afterwards, we stood in the back. So's to sign the program. Finally, one guy came, but wouldn't sign. He disgustedly throws a stick into the can. The small guy. I shake my head. The other one. Sam slumps back down. Jesus. Jesus. Air supply? Yep. He's trying to make sense of it all. I mean, I know you love her, but... Oh, but Jesus. You'll find out. With Deborah. You'll see. He tilts his head. I don't know. Lost in love? All out of love? Jesus. Sam quickly stands up. Let's not mention it again. That sounds fine. I don't know that we'll talk about it forever. Judge Rhonda Westfall is a small mountain of a woman, well over 300 pounds, 
and she wields that gavel like a lion tamer cracking a whip, fast and accurate. She has white hair and smooth ebony skin and a large gap between her front teeth, and she has more power to directly affect my life than any other human being alive. Yet she never utters my name, never speaks to me, never even looks at me. Hillary wears a skirt way too short for her 49-year-old legs, and when I see the other attorneys, I understand. This seems to be a young woman's game, particularly on family issues. There are dozens of lawyers in the massive hallway, and each one viciously taps out texts and shows more thigh than a rockette. When I make my way to the empty men's room, my senses are overwhelmed by electronic beeping and pantyhose. At the defendant's table, her attorney is leggy and quick-tempered and mean-spirited. Everything you could want when suiting up on Sutfin Boulevard. She dismisses our claims and concerns and makes a convincing counterclaim that Western Indiana is the only spot in all 48 contiguous states where a PhD in psychology could ever find work. And she asserts this as if it's common knowledge only an inbred moron would dispute. Hillary flails and sputters, losing on points round after round. Incredibly, no one mentions Ben or his needs. I nervously look around. Rabbi Cohen is several yards behind his daughter. Her mother is minding Ben today. I pivot backwards and make eye contact with Katie and my mother, and both clearly realize this is all going very, very badly. In the car coming here, the three of us were already making plans to turn my bedroom into Ben's room, with me sleeping in the living room for now. With me as the custodial parent, Hillary wants the court to know Ben will not be deprived of anything. That car ride now feels as though it was days ago. When the talking is over, the judge silently communicates with a young woman, also miniskirted, who whispers into the ear of justice for a good four minutes. I'm learning these young firebrands are the power behind the thrones, making life-and-death decisions hourly. Finally, Judge Westfall nods and speaks briefly but loudly. The plaintiff, she says, must start developing trust in the mutual relationship both parties share as parents, which will be in the best interest of the child. It actually takes a few seconds to realize she's referring to me. Me! Trust? Has your honor confused the plaintiff with the defendant? I'm not the one wanting to move Ben to Indiana. She continues speaking. The best interest of the child is most important, and she, Judge Westfall, will not hamper any woman's ability to support a child in this troubled economy. Women already are severely disadvantaged by unequal pay for equal work, and the historical record only reminds us of the challenges still ahead in establishing true equality. We should all celebrate this awesome opportunity offered the defendant. Her attorney is already snapping shut her briefcase. I feel as if I'm drowning, as though I'm one of those people who doesn't know how to swim, thrashing about in deep water. Hillary is quietly taking it all in, and I gently touch her arm, 
silently imploring her to take action, some type of action. But events overtake me, and the gavel falls. Evansville, it is. For one year, anyway. I have no way of knowing this light-hearted feeling will return time and again. My mother and Katie hug me, and we don't look at the other table. I wouldn't even know what to say. But somehow I do notice the defendant's own skirt is considerably shorter than any during the years we lived together. Is there yet another secret playbook? For decades to come, I'll continue to question if the very course of my son's life was dictated by hemlengths. Among the many things I don't know is Evansville is not now, nor will it ever be, about a job opportunity. It's busy in the tower, but finally I'm relieved for a meal break. I don't eat, but instead I go downstairs. The elevator runs just to the 14th floor, and from there the tower is accessible only by a narrow staircase. I head to the men's room and enter the last stall. Without unbuckling, I sit fully clothed and lean my head on the cold tile wall. Life without Ben. Yes, we've been hammering out the visitation agreement for Evansville, but it's just that. Visits. For the next year, I won't be living with Ben, and he won't be living with me. Laying out the next day's outfit and discussing the colored stripes in his shirt, watching his tiny fingers scoop the dough from the inside of a bagel, leaving the crusty covering as though it were an orange peel, carrying him home after he falls asleep in lovey. Somehow, Ben and I both have to make it through this year, and then we can exhale. I sit until my head aches from the cold. Finally, I return and again speak to Plains. It's taken a week, and we've signed all the paperwork. Now I'm at the deli on Sutphin Boulevard, catty corner to the courthouse, waiting on line for a roast beef sandwich. I've already grabbed chips and Pepsi. The hydraulic thing above the heavy front door hisses, and I look, and it triggers a memory. When we were together, she used to pontificate about the caste system between Ashkenazi and Sephardic Jews, but I never bought into it. I'm an American, so even if the whole all-of-us-are-created-equal jazz is pure bullshit, it's bullshit I happily buy into for the sake of democracy, or what's left of it in the United States of Morgan Stanley. Meanwhile, she always asserted that because her last name was Cohen, a member of the Blessed Tribe, life had designated her first class, while the rest of us unwashed masses squeezed into steerage. I learned how Cohens are forbidden to marry prostitutes or come into contact with dead bodies. One time, on a three-day getaway to Bermuda, we were delayed at JFK while they loaded a casket right below our window. Of course, she didn't want our quickie vacation in Elbow Beach postponed any longer. But she let me know, for the record, mind you, technically a Cohen wasn't supposed to fly with a stiff in the belly compartment, on the off chance the dead guy was a member of the tribe. So I let her know, technically, for the record, we Mullins had an ironclad Hibernian rule as well. 
No one in my clan is permitted to ride on Amtrak unless it has a bar car. She didn't find that amusing. And the reason I'm recalling all this is Alfred Cohen, my soon-to-be ex-father-in-law, is standing under the door's hydraulic thing and can't pretend he doesn't see me. Hello, Michael. Morning, Rabbi. For years, I used his first name, but although I'm polite, instinctively, I've gone back to Rabbi Cohen. Forget Paul Simon. I won't call him Al. I always felt he was a genuinely nice man, one of those guys who perpetually smiles. Even my father got along with him, trading tales of the polo grounds and horn and hard art. Now he tries that smile, but he's met with stone. And I know he's contemplating what he's lost as well. In the years ahead, he'll truly miss me at the satyrs and the barbecues in Westchester. We always had this one thing, something no one else had, not her, not her mother, not even her stepbrother Adam. Back in the day, during the Kennedy era between Korea and Vietnam, he'd done six months in the reserves as an Air Force chaplain. He'd been running from Uncle Sam all throughout CCNY and Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, and his draft board finally got him with a direct commission to captain. He was stationed in McGuire, down in Jersey, and they didn't put too much on his plate. Conducting Sabbath services, counseling drunken Jewish airmen in the brig at Fort Dix, consoling Newark or Jersey City families if they lost someone in Weisbotten or Manila or a plane crash. But it gave us a connection, both of us in the same branch, the same blue uniform. The truth is, he always liked me, and I always liked him. But the gates are clanging shut now, for good. His smile fades. This kid Harvey's got some arm, huh? I visually check my roast beef. Couldn't say, haven't had time to follow him. He nods, but clearly it doesn't concern the Mets. You still at LAG? Well, it's LGA. He pauses. Mike, I don't. He just stares. I continue. Really, I just don't want to hear it. Blood is thicker. Fine. You gotta do what you gotta do. But I don't have to listen. Cause I don't. Not anymore. The rabbi seems disappointed in me, as though I confessed to something much messier than he'd been prepared to absolve. It's not that simple, Mike. I'm watching the guy on the slicer. How hard is it to stack meat on a roll? I smile grimly. Know what? It is. It really is simple. Taking a little boy and moving him far away from his daddy, even though he loves him. It's pretty simple. There's a pause long enough for the rabbi to jump in, but he's got nothing. So I add, you can slice it any fucking way you want, but there it is. The guy behind the counter looks up, but I'm staring at the rabbi. I've never dropped an F-bomb on him before, yet he doesn't even blink. Must have counseled some foul-mouthed airman basic Rosenberg or Berkowitz in a court-martial hearing back during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Instead, he plays it obvious. You're a good man. You still look at the world all black and white. You know, life is more about shading. 
I let out an audible sigh. Shading, I cluck. All due respect, you're the one in the morality business. But when the chips are down, it's about shading. He shifts, so he's standing closer to me. You're an intelligent guy, Mike, but you've got a temper. That what she said? The rabbi coughs as though he misspoke. No, no, I, I don't mean that type of temper. I mean, you don't hear things at times. And when you get angry, it clouds. Please, I say forcefully enough, so he steps back. Finally, the counterman reaches across with my sandwich, wrapped mummy fashion in thin white paper, so I can carry it ten feet to a table. Her father nods sadly. I'll pray for you, Mike. No, I say, pray for Benji. Now I'm done with him, once and forever. As for that Google logo, we find the answer on Wikipedia, presumably accurate. The original concept was for all six letters to be decked out in primary colors, blue, red, yellow. But the graphic designer said the L became a secondary color, green, because Google doesn't follow the rules. Ben nods, and I believe he understands. But I've been spared the difficulty of telling him the court's decision. His mother already debriefed him, and he speaks matter-of-factly about moving to Indiana. So, we Google the term Hoosier. Calculating the distance makes my throat hurt. I've gotten home late. There's a thick manila envelope wedged into the tiny mailbox in the lobby. My attorney's return address. I hustle into the apartment, tear it open, and start reading. Agreement made and entered this blank day of blank 20 blank. By and between her, residing at her parents' address, here and after the mother, and Michael Patrick Mullen, residing at my address, here and after, the father. Witnesseth, whereas the parties were married on July 30th, 2008, in Queens County, New York, and subsequently filed for divorce on July 30th, 2013, and whereas the divorce will be resettled at a date to be determined, and whereas there is one fruit of the marriage, to wit, Benjamin Cohen Muller, born December 1st, 2010, here and after referred to as the child, and whereas, based upon the order of the court, I stop reading. There's an odd sound in my ear, getting louder. The fruit of the marriage. Ben. The fruit of the marriage? Ben? My ears are pounding, and I wonder, for the first time, but not the last time, if all this will kill me. I continue telling Ben about the state where he and Mommy are moving. There are lots of farms there, I point out. Maybe you can ride a pony when I come visit. We use Google to learn about neighboring states. Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. Ben is startled. The grass is blue, he asks incredulously. I'm a lame duck and hypersensitive about it. So I find myself disappointed when Ben acts up, which has been quite often. 
doesn't he realize how precious these days are? At other times, I get bored the way only the primary caretaker of a toddler can get bored. It's the dirty little secret of parenting. The best job in the world, yes, but conversing about Buzz Lightyear and Harold the Helicopter eventually takes its toll. So the cycle renews, engaged, bored, guilty, engaged. And then I'm maudlin, stealing kisses and hugs when he clearly feels they're inappropriate. I steal them anyway. I'm not sure how this fell into place, but for the first time since 2006, I'm preparing for a date with someone other than her. On some level, I think it's a mistake because I've been miserable company ever since my day in court. Then again, Katie isn't wrong that I could use a distraction from thinking about Indiana. I would have guessed I'd eventually get back into the game with a colleague from the tower. There's always a steady stream of fucking new guys coming through La Garbage. Many don't stay long, and some of them aren't guys at all. In fact, some have made my head turn away from the screen at times. After all, the FAA actively promotes diversity. But instead, it happened at NYU, in that Understanding Grief seminar. After class, I queried the professor over the methodology for differentiating depression symptoms from grief symptoms. But during this rambling response, I mistakenly mentioned I'm an air traffic controller. So he started speaking slowly in the, I hope you understand this because you must be a moron voice, pseudo-intellectuals use for anyone not generating W-2 forms from universities or media conglomerates. Afterwards, the young woman behind me smiled and blatantly said she was headed to Starbucks off Washington Square, and I just as blatantly told her, so was I. Her name is Velveeta Smith, so on top of my already tall pile of anxieties is the real concern we'll hit it off and develop a relationship and find happiness in each other's company which of course will mean I'll have to explain to quite a few incredulous friends and blood relatives that, yes, her name really is Velveeta Smith. In fact, I've already begun composing responses to the quips I'll hear. But although I don't know how the moniker was bestowed, or exactly what ethnic brew stirred up those freckles and strawberry blonde curls, Velveeta Smith is cute as all hell. And even though she dresses in baggy layers of NYU violet and white sweats and hoodies, somehow all that cotton doesn't hide a sexy, curvy figure, and a nasty scar on her shapely right calf, and a red and blue Chinese tattoo at the base of her smooth spine, and a paired ring inside her shy belly button. Not drinking coffee has never hampered me at Starbucks, so I chose an Italian soda and paid for her latte macchiato venti mocha, whatever the hell, and from the lilt of her left eyebrow, I could tell she was impressed I treated, like she was out with a grown-up. Because the thing about Velveeta Smith is she's a hell of a lot younger than me. So young, she used the word buy while texting. In fact, in the break room the next day, I jotted down the following a sloppy scalene triangle summing it up. 
MPM, 1978. Felvita, 1991. Ben, 2010. But what the hell? She blew on her latte, and we discussed the axis of psychology and sociology. And she talked about conducting research on the career aspirations of kindergarten kids based on gender breakdowns. And I told her about the psychological makeup of a control tower during summer thunderstorms. And when Velveeta Smith smiled, the point of her left knee parked in the side of my right thigh, I felt a charge that emanated low, but soon coursed through my whole body. I asked her to dinner for Sunday night, calculating it's a good first date night, weekend, but without the Friday-Saturday anxiety nexus. In no time, that smile returned. Now I'm flowing into traffic on the 59th Street Bridge. Screw the tunnel and easy pass. I'm deciding where I can stash Lovey and its noisy exhaust system for an overnighter if the stars really do decide to align. Presumptuous, I know, but the FAA spends a considerable budget providing us with contingency planning. So I bought a Trojan's 12-pack when stocking up on blue huggies at Walgreens. I'm way too early. The plan is to meet Velveeta Smith at her apartment off Broadway at 8. But I roam the East Village until finally finding the holiest of grails, an old-fashioned broken meter, not the shared kind. Now I slowly hike back toward NYU. On St. Mark's Place, I inhale incense and think about that kindergarten project of hers. I know it sounds crazy after sharing close quarters with a sweet woman, but my strongest reaction at Starbucks was when she mentioned her kindergarten research. So, Vilvita likes kids. No wonder the very thought of Italian soda has made me smile.